Hi, I'm Jessica Hundel. And I'm Camille Baker. You're listening to the second episode of Word, a podcast we created that deals with race in Canada. For this episode, we speak to Toronto-based comedian Aisha Alpha, a winner of Winnipeg's Funniest Person with a Day Job, performer at the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, and a finalist in NBC's Diversity Showcase. Hi, hello everybody. I'm Aisha Alpha, and I'm a comedian, stand-up comedian, uh, an actor, a host, and a motivational speaker uh, based in Toronto, Canada at the moment. Okay, great. So I, I've actually seen you perform live, um, and there's one bit that I really enjoyed where you talk about your name, um, and I have a clip here, so we'll just play that. My name is Aisha, and I, I think it's, it's a pretty easy name, right? Two syllables, it's simple enough, just Aisha. People get it wrong all the time, though. Like, I get a lot of like, oh, hi, Aisha, <laughs> Like, I'm not from the bayou, comment down over there, you know? But like, like, oh, like, Alicia, I'm like, don't, I don't know, I just don't understand why people can't get name right, it's simple. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more. <laughs> Just so everyone knows there's more to that. There's a joke that there's a punchline at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, there is. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about your name and the part that that plays in your comedy. I mean, uh, I've well, seen a number of clips of you being introduced, in fact, by a, by a host who actually mispronounces, so your, yeah, who mispronounces name. your name uh, right before you come on stage. It's really funny, too, because oftentimes hosts will go, they'll meet me and they'll go, okay, so how do you say your name again? And we practice it, and then it often comes out wrong. But I'm, to be honest, I don't really get that offended, um, especially if it's somebody who I don't know, because mm-hmm. I've been there where you're like, is it, you know, Adrian or Adrian? Like, what is it? And then when you go on stage, you tell a couple jokes, usually as the host to start things off, and by then the pronunciation's gone out of your head. So, right. um, but yeah, my my name it's Aisha, uh, and it's a very very common name. Uh, I'm born in Nigeria, and it's very common in Nigeria. It's common in a lot of Muslim countries. Um, it's the it's a it's a religious name. It's the second wife of the Prophet Muhammad, his favorite wife. Mm-hmm. So it's a very you know it's a uh, it's a very common a common name. Uh, and I mean my name my name's always been pronounced in many different ways through my entire life. So comedy is no different from that. And that's why it's not really a big shock that all of a sudden in comedy, like everyone's not pronouncing it correctly all over the streets. And then in comedy, everyone's like, what's your name? You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I wanted to ask you if you remember when you first realized that people were categorized based on race, even if you didn't have the language to express it then. And when you did first realize you were seen as a racialized person. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I, I'm mixed. So my mom is very white. My father is very black. At times I lived with just my mom. At times I lived with just my dad. The only person who really looks like me growing up was my brother because we're the product of both those those parents. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't... It's not one of those things you think about, really. The weird thing was I didn't grow up around a lot of people who were black uh, or mixed. So it was a bit multicultural, I guess, where there were, like, Asian people and Indian people and Aboriginal people and you know, um, different Caucasian people, but not tons of black people in the where, where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the first times I realized that I guess is when I went back to Nigeria actually. And it's like, I knew that in Canada I would be considered black, um, which I thought was kind of funny cause I never really saw myself as black. But when I went to Nigeria, they called me white because I'm so much lighter than everyone there. So it was like kind of this weird thing where I'm like, what am I, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just funny because there's no, there's no name. There's like, even still to this day, people don't have a name to put me in a box for like what my 
race or skin tone or whatever you want to call it is. So the people, I guess people didn't talk about it as much. I didn't, you know, I wasn't in, as included in the black stuff. I wasn't included in the white stuff, even though I'm the same parts, white and black. Um, and even things like, you know, when I was in university, I remember taking a women's studies course and we were doing, we were doing some, some, uh, reading on, on the black woman's experience and one of the students in my class came up to me afterwards and kind of cornered me and was like, so what is your experience being a black woman? And I was like, I'm not a black woman. Like, I don't have an experience. I have a totally different one. Like, it's just sort of funny because I'm not put on either side of that coin. And then people say things like, is, is mixed race the word? Is biracial the world? Is mulatto the world? And it's like, I don't know why I have to be put into a box. I still don't really get that. Like, I have a joke about it where, you know, one of my friends who was a good friend of mine was like, what should I call you? And I was like, Aisha, you know, like, just call me by the name you've always called me. And she's like, yeah, but like when I describe you, do I call you mulatto? Because I heard that's racist. And I was like, yeah, because it means mule. And also, like, how many Aishas do you know that you need to categorize all of us? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm the only Aisha you know. So why does it matter what, like, my background is or what you want to call me skin-wise? Do you think people find it important to maybe categorize you because they just, it's like you're non-white? I guess I think that it's like um, mostly white people who want to categorize non-white people is what yeah. I find, you know, um, into, I mean, and typically I think people would say like they want to break, you know, it, it's the other, but they want to break that other up into multiple different groups so that they can't be one united group um, against the white people. Um, I also wanted to ask you, um, I know you mentioned you're from Winnipeg. I was wondering if you're aware of the article McLean's published this year um, on Canada's racism problem being at its worst in Winnipeg. Yeah, for sure. That was a good friend of mine, Nancy McDonald, who wrote that, who's an amazing journalist in person. And uh, and it was really f not funny, but interesting, I guess, to see when that came out, how polarized people were about it. Um, there, there are flaws in every article, and there's flaws in, in that article and in addition, there are tons of truths or true sentiments uh, in that article. Mm -hmm. And also people, you know, when people say, I don't like this point or this point, that's fair enough. But if people just say, that's not true. And, you know, we, I heard a lot of people saying, Winnipeg's not racist, which to me was a laughable statement because <laughs> Winnipeg is, is uh, it's like anywhere. First of all, everywhere in Canada, there's racism everywhere in Canada, you know, the denying racism exists is a ludicrous sentiment and it's a ludicrous thought. But in Winnipeg specifically, you know, you find that like the Aboriginal people, it's like a systemic type of racism that they're going through. And when this article came out, Mayor Bowman had just come into to power and like he basically on his first day, that's kind of when that stuff happened. And then he dealt with it so beautifully in that he didn't just deny it. He didn't get angry. He said he felt really emotional about it. Mm -hmm. um, because he's Métis, and it was she was talking about specifically racism towards Aboriginal people. This past month, uh, he put on something called the One Summit for Racial Inclusion. So he basically wanted to address what was said in the article in a way of saying, how are we being racist? What is racism? What is people's experience of racism in Winnipeg? How can we look at, you know, what's going right? What's going wrong? How do we look at that? How do we change it? How do we include more people? And, and it was such a beautiful way of opening up his arms versus, you know, crossing his arms and denying that this existed. The one thing that's important is that the article really got people talking and really got people having to look at themselves in the mirror and having to look at the system and, you know, addressing things like the upwards of 1,800 murdered and missing Aboriginal women. When I went to the, the One Summit, um, I spoke about that and I got just very emotional because I was really angry and really sad about 
the conditions that some of these women are found, like Tina Fontaine being found in a garbage bag at the bottom of, of the river when they were looking for somebody else. They weren't even looking for her. Our city was in charge of this person. Our province was in charge of this person. And we accidentally found her in a trash bag in the bottom of the river. Winnipeg is very racist, specifically to Aboriginal people. And I think it's funny that people often ask me, you know, do you experience racism? Yeah, for sure, there's some stuff I've experienced. But when we're talking racism, our our, our mental image of it should be sw- switched from black and white racism happening to um, Aboriginal people and white people, really, in Canada. I think is that that's the bigger problem that we have. Not saying that there's not racism towards other races, but, I mean, that's the glaring one. I mean, one of the things I took away from the article was how public the racism seems to be towards Aboriginal people in in Manitoba, um, and specifically Winnipeg. They talk about even um, Tanya Tagak, the Inuit uh, Mm -hmm. performer, and how when she went to perform in Winnipeg, she was just, somebody came up to her and was like, you're a sexy little Indian. Yeah. Um, You want to fuck? Yeah. Something we wouldn't even imagine happening, I think. Well, I wouldn't imagine happening in places like Toronto. No. Yeah. So I guess, like, I was wondering if you could speak on those daily realities from your experience. Well, it's it's so many things. Like, people will say things that are racist and not realize that they are racist. And that's the real problem. Like, the first stage is realizing what racism is and what it sounds like and what it looks like. You Mm -hmm. know, things like saying, oh, like, even the word Indian. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and and crossing a road because you see somebody saying saying something like oh there was a native guy it's like what does that have to do with the story why are we why are we putting an asterisk beside this person because that's a racist that's a racist perception of somebody is that they have to be identified based on race so that then you can let those those you know negative um, connotations flood in before you tell the rest of the story to be like let me set it up for you you know um, things like uh, how the system is 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 set up I mean. I mean, to go way back, obviously, like, we came in, we took land from people that didn't belong to us. We pushed people into really shitty areas where they can't really be self-sustaining in any way, shape, or form when their whole culture is based on being self-sustaining and being able, like, being able to feed themselves, fend for themselves, have a community, govern themselves. We took all of that away from a, from a group of people, pushed them into places where they can't do that, gave them thing, you know, substances to become addicted to, created situations where they are set up to fail, like the recidivism rate for Aboriginal people is insane in Canada, and the the rates of Aboriginal people in uh, who are incarcerated is that the ratio is completely out of whack with what our ratio is of of you know the population. And if the system is working properly, those ratios should be more or less equal or congruent. And it's just they're not. So there's so there's so many problems. Like the more you walk backwards, the more problems you're going to see, and the deeper it all goes. And so it almost feels sometimes like like hopeless because it's like, well, where do we start? Where does it end? It's this sort of circular thing. So I think that like one of the beautiful things is looking at, you know, what is working and how do we do more of that? And how do we encourage more people to see the good? And then, you know, how, how do we call out actions that are clearly racist and hurtful that are stopping people from being able to succeed or proceed or get better or feel, you know, confident and loved and respected. Um, and those are the, that's, I think where the best starting point is because, those are the things that day to day affect people and make them not want to go to a job interview um, when they hear somebody, you know, the boss walking up and telling a racist joke about Aboriginal people. Like that's, of course, you're not going to want to be surrounded by people who you think at all times are looking down on you. And it, sometimes it's even it's even hard because when you go into a situation and you're treated unfairly, you don't know. You don't know. Is it because of my race? 
is it because these people don't like me? What is it about it? You know, it, it just really makes you second, triple, quadruple guess yourself. Whereas a lot of people who are in the power, um, a place of power, they don't have to second guess themselves. They don't have to worry about that. They think if this person doesn't like me, they're an idiot, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just so many layers and levels of of um, misunderstanding, of not getting it, of not connecting with people, of not expressing and being love and and respect to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about your career in comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. If I can bring it back to that for a second, how often do you see people making jokes at the expense of people of color, or women, and how do you deal with that when it comes up? Well, I mean, this is a touchy one because comedy is so different from the real world as far as what can be said and what can't be said. And I think sometimes people hear trigger words and then they immediately close down their ears and understanding and they're like, oh, nope, they're talking about race. That's not okay. That's not fair. Oh, nope, they're talking about sex. They're talking about rape. They're talking about, you know, ageism. Like it's like all these different things and people are like, no, it can't happen. So for me, my whole philosophy is like, if it's funny, it's funny. You know what I mean? There's no topic that's off that's um, off the table. I don't think that censorship should happen in comedy. The end goal is for something to be funny. Now, there are certain categories and and topics that are very extremely hard to make funny. You Mm -hmm. know, like people talking about rape. That's, there's really, I haven't really heard a funny joke about rape. But I'm not going to say no one should be able to talk about rape on stage. And that's because if you decide people can't talk about it, it's the same thing as silencing people who've gone through the experience. Like, you have to let people have the opportunity to talk about anything they want on stage because that's how we grow understanding. Laughter is a great way for people to communicate and understand different groups who have different experiences in themselves. But most people, you know, you can't talk about everything. And if you haven't had an experience, it's even harder for people to talk about that thing. Like if you're not a black person and you're talking about black issues, unless you grew up in that culture and that's who you are and you know what I mean? And you're being authentic with that you there's unless you're taking you know unless you're taking a perspective from a white person looking i don't know it's just like you have to be able to be authentic and and know what you're talking about and talk about your own experiences or your view of how those experiences are happening um i think that people make fun of women and races and and you know genders and sexes all the time and i think there's tons of funny stuff about that there's like our tragedy and our struggle and our you know stress from all these things is hilarious because Mm -hmm. all go through it in some way shape or form whether you're the person who's being seen as the oppressor or the oppressed, whether you're the person who's in it or outside of it, we there's something that unites us all about those things. Mm-hmm. And that's what we should be talking about on stage. And that's our goal is to make that thing funny. That 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 thing that unites us is funny. Um, so some people succeed at that. You know, at times we don't succeed. But I still think that it's a slippery slope in saying you can't talk about race. You can't talk about sex. You can't talk about gender. You can't talk about, um, uh, you know, uh age and like it's just it's well someone told me once I can't I shouldn't be talking about periods on stage and I was like go screw yourself you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. if I have to go through periods I get to talk about them whenever the hell I want to talk about them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um (laughs) and that you know so it's it's I think that it is important to keep those doors open and I think it's also important for people to say I don't think that's funny when they don't think it's funny yeah well what about your career itself Uh, you know is it more difficult for women and people of color to make their way in that industry I mean, there's, it's just like life. It's just like everything, you know, um, there, there are a lot more white, straight male comedians and that, I mean, I think those, those statistics are even changing and shifting as well, but white male straight comedians are still the ones who have been around, you know, in the, in that industry for a long time and being stuff. I think being black in comedy doesn't matter as much, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of 
when you look at like, can I see someone who looks like me doing this? Yeah. I mean, the Richard Pryors, the, you know, like people mm-hmm. like that. There's been black comedians. There's been Jewish comedians. There's been, uh, now there's, there's more and more Asian comedians coming up. Now there's more and more Indian comedians coming up. So those are the ones like, I think that have been under, um, represented somewhat in, in comedy. Uh, th- then, you know, there's the gay comedians who've been coming out since like the eighties, I guess, really. And even before that, then it's like, now there's, there's trans comedians who are coming out and that's great. You know, it's like everyone's slowly being able to be represented, which is a beautiful thing. I think that women are probably one of the groups that is instantly, it's the same. It's like a systematic thing where it's an old boys club. It used to be an old boys club, but now that's slowly shifting. But, um, there's just so many things that are sexist that are not, not even sexist to be sexist, but that are geared towards having men succeed more, uh, typically. So, you know, if you if you're a woman who is touring and you're you want to have a family and have a kid, I mean, it's just a lot more difficult, you know, versus a man who wants to have a family and have kids. They they aren't physically going to be pregnant and touring and sleeping in shitty hotel rooms and being harassed by people, you know. So it's just a different reality with the rights and responsibilities we have with our with our the goals that we have as, you know, as a a woman, as a man, as as someone who identifies as a woman, as someone who identifies as a man. Um, and people often ask me that, you know, do you think that it's harder for a woman? And I think po- possibly because I've been in so many different male-dominated areas in my life, and I've just, that's all, it's always been a struggle to be the only woman at times, you know, in a, on a soccer team, in a room of comedians, at a show, a uh, musical show, um, that my philosophy is, yeah, it's really hard. The barrier of entry is really hard for women uh, in certain things, meaning when you walk on stage, you you can sometimes hear audible groans like, ugh, like a woman. Or people will mm. say to you after shows, I just don't find women funny, but you are good, you know? And it's like, oh, wow. it makes you want to, like, crush a glass, you know, in front of them and be like, ah. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, it's like once you get over that hump and you prove that you're funny, then it's like the world is your oyster. Because when people see you as a funny comedian who happens to be female – it's like, whoa, oh my gosh, a unicorn, you know, like mm-hmm. people are so impressed by it. And then people will want you more on your on shows and they want to see you do well. Um, of course, until you do too well, then they want to pull you back down again. <laughs> but um, so my, you know, my philosophy is just n- no matter who you are, woman, man, um, white, not white, you, you know, whatever, if you love what you're doing and you become undeniably great at it, then no one can, can not respect that at very least. So Right. I mean, I, I don't really like to, you know, I, I, it's a thing. It's it's a, it's something that it, it irks me at times. And in addition, I don't really love to spend too much time dwelling on it because we could talk forever about how unfair things are and we would still be in the same place as we are. You know, we'd just be a bit more angry about life. Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, it's like, I just try and like, you know, it sucks. It's shitty sometimes and like stuff's not right and I'll speak up about it. And in addition, I'm just going to plow through and keep going and stand up for myself and just try not to take any shit from anybody. And hopefully then people will, you know, recognize that I have a talent. Mm -hmm. My last question just had to do with, I guess you spoke about this a bit before when you said you don't really find it too much of a challenge as a black comedian, because there are other black comedians you can look up to. Mm -hmm. But I have, and you called, you know, you're like, like anything else, it was a all white boys club kind of Mm -hmm. um but i do find that there is some pushback from often from white male comics Mm -hmm. especially (laughs) if people of color talk about race um talk about i guess experiences that white people may not experience 
Mm-hmm. And they think that that's not like real comedy or that's like race comedy and they separate that as like black comedy or Indian comedy and Asian comedy versus just comedy. Mm-hmm. And I, I was going to ask you if you've experienced anything like that and what your thoughts on that are. I mean, I, th- I think that I've seen that happen where people talk about, oh, that person just panders to the audience and talks about race when they're in a room full of like, you know, a mixed race crowd or something like that. And I think that it's it's like, if you're... It's funny that, like, again, it has to be put, like, an asterisk beside a joke. That's a chick joke. That's a black joke. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, a gay joke. But the rest of the jokes that we're telling from, you know, a straight white male perspective are just jokes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, you know. Um, and, you know, there was an article uh, that was written in the Globe and Mail um, by uh, Julian. I can't remember his last name. But Julian, who works for he was doing some freelance for them about um, interviewing the, you know, the CEO of, of Yuck Yucks, Mark Breslin, and saying, you know, there aren't a lot of people of color on your on your roster. And he had a quote where he said something to the effect of, well, if I put two people of color uh, on my stage, the audience is going to assume they ha- they're going to tell the same jokes and I can't do that. And I, it was funny because it's like the, for some reason, a whole pile of white male comedians on stage doesn't seem to have the same effect because I think that's sort of seen as the default and everything else is the other. So... I think that is how sometimes people view non-white male comedians. It's like, oh, a female comedian. Oh, a black comedian. Like, it's like, this is exciting, something different. Um, But uh, I think that jokes are just jokes. Like, if it's funny, again, it goes back to, like, if it's funny, it's funny. Who really cares what the topic is? It's like, are you laughing? Great. Then you're laughing. You're having a good time. The jokes are working. The comedy is happening, you know? Um, We don't need to separate race if, if someone's offended by a joke they're not going to laugh so it doesn't matter if, if it's a joke that you have a perspective in or you have an authentic experience with or something that you're making fun of another group it's just people aren't going to laugh at things they don't personally find funny and everyone's not going to find everything funny and everyone has different tolerances for what they find offensive or what they find hilarious so uh, yeah it's just I, I mean I just don't focus on that stuff really because you can drive yourself crazy being frustrated with trying to figure out what the rules are and what works and what doesn't for which audience and who's going to be offended and who's not it's like Everyone's going to be offended. Everyone's going to think it's funny. Everyone's going to not think it's funny. Nobody's going to be offended. Like, it just really doesn't matter. You go and you try and have fun and you try and be authentic and get your perspective across. And that's your only job as a comedian. And whether you're, you know, you find out if you're good at your job or not good at your job when more and more people want to hire you or people isolate you and don't let you go on shows, you know.